Our scripture reading this morning comes from uh, Acts 9. And we're going to be reading from 31 verses in Acts chapter 9. So you've got the four Gospels and then the Acts of the Apostles. The growing of the New Testament church in the book of Acts. Acts 9. We begin reading at verse 1 to verse 31. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuted, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for the man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. And day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. 
He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And then the church throughout Judea and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Thanks be to God for his word. So we are in week number seven of our series following the small group discussion book by Kevin Adams titled The Book That Understands You. And as I'm going through this book myself and reading scripture, it is remarkable how these chapters complement the Ritter Church renewal journey that we are on as a church. Last week I touched briefly on what the Ritter Church renewal journey is. I think it's important to hear things over again in order to understand. So the Ritter Church Renewal, as mentioned, has as its end goal, missional living. Meaning that mission and sharing the good news becomes part of our everyday living. It's just who we are, it's just what we do. But we as churches and as individuals, many have not arrived yet at that point. And we are on a journey discerning the preferred future of God, discerning the desired will of God. Missional living is God's preferred goal that we are to continually strive for. We're not there. So, the journey to missional living begins. And this journey includes both personal transformation and corporate transformation. And when it comes to personal transformation in Ritter, we are challenged to ask ourselves a specific question in all circumstances, especially in circumstances that create tension and anxiety, often situations of conflict. And the church usually offers many of these situations, and of course most of life does. There's always conflict. Now this question, and I'm going to tell you right off the bat, it's not grammatically correct, But this question is, who I be? Who am I in a certain situation? How do I react in a certain discussion or when a certain thing occurs in my life? And it's not just about answering the question, how I act, and accepting it at face value, but also asking at the same time, why do I act this way? And can there be any changes made to my current behavior. Who I be? It's a loaded question. In a former church that where I served, we were working through various behavioral issues in the church community. And we went through resource material about setting the church free from certain behaviors and, and negative habits. And through this journey, we put in place what was called a prayer action plan. Praying. Praying for a long time. We prayed a long time, but praying for this for a long time about renouncing certain behaviors. Just renouncing them and announcing a new holy behavior. Now, without getting into this too much, the reason for this strategy that was put in place was that often around the discussion tables, we would hear the phrase, well, that's just the way I am. I'm stubborn. 
I don't want to change. That's just the way I am. I have a temper. And I've always been that way. That's just the way I am. Or that person wronged me. And I'm hurt. That's just the way I am. Or I'm not able to offer much to the church. That's just the way I am. And this phrase was often quoted, indicating that while we cannot change who we are, what then happens is that phrase becomes an excuse. That's just the way I am. There's nothing I can do about it. Probably nothing that God can do about it either. And in fact, over time, the excuse did not only become a personal excuse, but we also used it as an excuse for one another. Oh, we should just let that person be. That's just the way they are. No, that's not the way it's supposed to be. The Ritter Church Renewal uses biblical principles and provides hope that when there are things in our lives that are hindering our relationship with Jesus or with his people, there is hope that these things, even things in the past, can be redeemed. And they can be removed by the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus. When we are tempted to use that phrase, that's just the way I am, even this phrase is redeemable. God will change his people. So we have in our reading today, conflict. And there's actually extreme conflict. Um, There's conflict of persecution and murder. And while people could respond, well, that's just the way I am, God doesn't allow for that. And today's story includes many different characters and and, and different groups of people. There's the Jews, the Gentiles, and disciples of Jesus, and there's killers included in the story. But we're going to focus on two, actually three characters. Because the first character that's brought to our attention is Saul. And then as we go on in the story, the the other character is Ananias. And of course, that third character is God. He's orchestrating this whole event. And today's story shows hope that nobody needs to be just the way they are because God will change people for His purposes. So let's first look at Saul. Who is Saul? Saul is one who kills Christians. He first appears in chapter 7 when Stephen was killed by stoning. And at the end of the chapter we read, And Saul approved of their killing him. He's a killer. He's a persecutor. Saul was also known, as we know throughout Scripture, by his Greek name, Paul. And Saul, or Paul, was by birth a Jew. By citizenship he was Roman. By education he was Greek. By grace... He was a Christian. Saul was identified as many different things. And by the saving grace of Jesus and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, he was a child of God. So how do we answer who I be for Saul? Who does he be? Well, we can't necessarily get into Saul's head. But Scripture gives us a glimpse of his heart. Saul enters the story as a Pharisee and a strict observer of the law. He was bound and determined to keep the traditions of Judaism. So when the story of a risen Savior, Jesus, was going around by this group called the Way, Saul was going to do his utmost to rid this group of any change to the Jewish faith. 
Recall with Pentecost that the church was changing quickly and thousands were converting to following Jesus. And Saul was determined to keep the status quo and make sure that this church, his church, was not going to change. Acts 8 verse 3, it states, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And later, as a changed and transformed follower of Jesus, we read in Acts 26, Saul admits to what he has done. And he he says, I too was convinced that I, I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Quite a confession from Paul. Saul studied in the Old Testament law under the well-known teacher Gamaliel. And Saul would have been educated well in the scriptures because that's the life that Saul lived. A strong advocate of religion and yet a persecutor of those having a relationship with Jesus. He was a terrorist. And yet this person, this persecutor of believers in the Christian faith, it's a complete turnaround, a 180 degree turnaround. The Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, transforms Saul's life. And Saul becomes the lead character in the rest of the book of Acts. He wrote to many churches. He took the lead in bringing the gospel message, according to Acts 1 verse 8, to the ends of the earth. And then what's ironic is that the persecutor himself becomes the persecuted. People are trying to kill him. Even after Saul's conversion through Christ, Saul still had many people scared. We read in chapter 9, verse 1, that Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. That was before Jesus took a hold of him. But followers of Jesus, of course, would have, have him labeled. Oh, that's just the way he is. He's a persecutor. How could someone like that even change? But through the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus, people will be changed for God's purposes. Bringing the gospel of Jesus to others. So Saul's transformation was dramatic. Saul was not a follower of Jesus. And God made him into a follower. And this change involves God through His Holy Spirit. This is a divine initiative. This transformation is not just about a commitment or a decision that Saul made. This is a surrender to Jesus as his Lord and Savior. A surrender to Jesus having authority over his whole life. A surrender to saying, that's not the way I am to be. This story shows us that nobody is impossible to receive the love and grace of Jesus. Nobody needs to use the excuse... That's just the way I am. In fact, it's not even biblical. So now the scene changes. And it moves towards Ananias. Who I be for Ananias? Who is Ananias? 
Well, we don't know a lot about Ananias. Scripture doesn't share with us his conversion story. Ananias was a follower of Jesus before Saul was. We don't hear much more about Ananias except that he was instructed through a vision from the Lord to make this visit to Saul. So Ananias had a vision from the Lord and initially he seemed to be rather obedient, answering right away, Yes, Lord. It almost seems that this wasn't something out of the ordinary. Yeah, it was not something out of the ordinary for him. And it's cool that the Lord chose him to, to give this specific message. But what was out of the ordinary was God's request. Basically, it would appear that God is sending Ananias on a suicide mission. A biblical scholar once said asking Ananias to make this visit would be like asking a Jewish rabbi to make a pastoral visit to Adolf Hitler. It's entering a lion's den, a snake's pit. So the initial response from any follower of Jesus would probably be to question the sanity of the request, even if it came from God. I mean, Ananias initially says, yes, Lord. But upon hearing the request, Ananias doesn't answer, yes, Lord, to this request to visit Saul. There was hesitancy. As a follower, who does Ananias be? Well, he would rather be disobedient than put his life in danger. But as the story continues, God explained that Saul was now his chosen instrument. Saul is no longer that same person. Ananias is probably still anxious, but he obeyed. And both Ananias and Saul were God's chosen instruments. And God transformed Saul from a killer to a preacher. God transformed Ananias from a fearful follower to a willing participant in God's mission. And Ananias arrives at Saul's and he places his hands on Saul and he prays for Saul and refers to Saul as brother Saul. These are powerful words that fall upon Saul and even that come from Ananias. God is in the ministry of transforming his people. He's in the ministry of growing people and using people for building his kingdom and for making, making more disciples, sharing the gospel message of Jesus. Some of the transformation will be extreme, like Saul. Other transformation will not be as extreme as Ananias. But there's always transformation happening. The good news of the scripture is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And this passage from Scripture in Acts 9 again shows that no matter what kind of person you may have been, Jesus can transform you from who you are into what He wants you to become. We read in John's book of Revelation, Revelation 21, verse 5, I'm making everything, including people, new. We're going to hear more about this passage of Revelation next week. And Paul, when he writes to the church in Corinth, he states in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here, and all this is from God. God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. 
Saul began preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And in verse 21, it states that the people were astonished. And many, of course, were skeptical and thought that this was a way to catch people and imprison them. It was a trap. Earlier, he had been killing fellow Jews, and now he's preaching about God? So the Jews wanted to kill, kill Saul. Other followers supported Saul and hid him from the Jews. The disciples of verse 26 were afraid, and they didn't believe that such a transformation was possible. And it was in verse 27 where Barnabas, he took Saul to the disciples. It was like bringing the enemy's weapon of mass destruction into ally territory. God transforms hearts and minds into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. This week, we had the U.S. elections. And personally, I think that no matter what the outcome would have been, the other side would have acted out. I mean, we're hearing so much through the news about Trump, and if it was the other way, we probably would have heard so much through the news about Hillary. Donald Trump is the president-elect, and despite what he has said or has done, we have to trust, we have to trust that God will use him for his purposes. We have to trust that God can do a complete turnaround in the life of his people. But let's not only look at other people, Right? I mean, it's easy to look at others and look at someone else and say who they should be. But let's take it to ourselves. Because God wants us to look at ourselves. The Ritter Church Renewal asks us the question, who I be in any situation? What in life is preventing me from fully being who God wants me to be? Who I be? Well, I think the simple and the most general answer is going to first come to us through a, from a summary through the Reformed Confessions, Heidelberg Catechism. Question answer one, right? It asks the question, who I be? I belong. I belong to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in life and in death. Kevin Adams in his study book, The Book That Understands You, affirms that we are sons and daughters of the King, that we belong to the artist of this world. We belong to the rescuer who saves this world and saves us. We belong in life and in death, body and soul, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And this should give us comfort. It should give us peace. It gives us assurance. But let's now go a little more specific, a little more personal. On account of what God has done for you how do you ask, answer that question who I be who you be in every daily activity how do you behave in situations at work how do you behave in, in your family how do you behave when you come to worship on Sundays when, when you leave worship when you enter into regular routines during the week how and why do you act the way that you do We can ask ourselves, what things make me angry and why? What things hurt me and why? And how do I hurt people and why? Why do I gossip? Why do I lie? What addictions do I have and why? Which practices of the old self are so hard to rid of? In what areas of life have you been tempted to say, 
I've always been that way. What practices of the old self are you willing to work on? Or more importantly, allowing God to work on you? Whoever I be, whoever we be, we need to know first and foremost that we belong. We belong to Jesus. And secondly, that whatever sin, baggage, issue, burden, temptation, addiction is holding us back from being free in Jesus or being the person that Christ has called us to, it doesn't need to be there. Through Christ, He will transform our hearts and our minds. He will transform our lives. So if you are living a life like Saul, maybe quite religious, but a life without Jesus as your Lord and your Savior... Allow the Spirit of Jesus to transform your mind and heart. Allow the scales to fall from your eyes. Repent and do that 180 and surrender your life to Jesus. Accept your identity in Christ and find out that you can be a totally different person in Christ. And maybe you're like Ananias. You're a follower of Jesus. Having a deep relationship with Jesus. Well, what sort of things are in your life that are still holding you back from following God's will? What things are you afraid of? Why, why are you holding back on things in life where God is sending you? Who you be? Surrender your life to Jesus and ask Him to remove the things that are preventing you from being fully alive and free in Christ. I close off with the words again from Paul's letter to the Colossians, we heard them earlier in the service, Colossians 3, 12-14. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, you belong to Jesus. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you have done amazing things through the power of your Holy Spirit. And you've done amazing things in the lives of your people, your church. And through your Spirit, turn our hearts to you. And help us to not accept a mediocre life in Christ, but a new life, a complete life, a fulfilled life in Christ. So continue to work in our hearts and our minds, transforming us more and more into your likeness. Help us to ask the question, who I be, in certain situations, and to reflect and to ask you to work change in our lives. Because we want to live our lives for you, Lord. And we want to share the good news of Jesus with others. Hear our prayer. We pray this only in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.